We are continuing in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5. And we're going to go from verses 14, even though we touched on 14 last week, all the way to the, to chapter, I mean, verse 20. Because next week we're going to talk about some other things that should be interesting. Let's read verses 14 and 16. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Last week we ended with verse 14, and remember, verse 14 isn't someplace, isn't found in the scripture. Verse 14 is actually most likely a song that they sang. And so it's great to look and see that here is a passage that Paul is, in a sense, just breaking out in song and wanting them to to remember these words. And we talked about how music, ancient music, is really difficult to understand. We we don't know the tune to this song. We, We don't know how did it sound, what instruments did they use. And music, for the most part, is difficult in ancient history to actually discover, except in areas of worship, whether it be the pagan worship, whether it be Jewish worship traditions or the early church. That's where we have the most information on the fact that people sang, people played music, and it was a part of their worship to God. And so here in scripture is this exclamation of worship, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And it is again helping us to understand just the things that Paul has been talking about, this understanding. And as we are going from this area of a song, we are going to move now into this understanding of kind of more of wisdom. And there are different styles uh, and content in style throughout the Hebrew scripture. There, there's stories, there's commandments, there's poetry, music, there's riddles, there's parables, and so on. And, and Paul is going to move from this song actually to what we would call a category of wisdom literature. And this portion of Ephesians would definitely fall into that category of wisdom, much like what you have of the Proverbs uh, throughout the Old Testament. And in general, the purpose of the wisdom literature is for gaining wisdom and instruction. And it's helping us to understand, again, this insight for receiving instruction and prudent behavior. This is from Proverbs 1. Doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. That's Proverbs Chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. The whole point of the writings of wisdom was so that we could get understanding. The, the wisdom is embodied in the instruction that is given. And that's what we find here in Ephesians, that God, Paul is giving us some really practical 
demonstrations of how people improve or ruin their lives by the choices they make. We can improve our lives or destroy our lives based on the choices we make. In Proverbs chapter 9, it's a parable involving two women, prudence and folly. And both these women call out from the heights of the city to anyone who will listen. And both of them invite those who are naive into their homes to feed on what's been prepared for them. But the consequences for entering one home is the opposite of those entering the other. In the home of prudence is life and continuous and a continuous journey and understanding. If you were to enter prudence's home, wisdom's home, you would get understanding and you would find life. If you enter the home of foolishness or folly, then there is death and the path to the grave or shoal. Based on who you listen to, it's going to change the experience you have. And Paul here is trying to get us to understand. His goal throughout Ephesians, and especially in these passages, is to guide the readers to the path of wisdom. And he's been laying this kind of either-or to put off the old self, the old man. We called it the false self. Put on the new man, the new self, who is in the likeness of Christ. To not walk in darkness, but to walk in in light, to, to bring these things, to realize the choice of, that we have, the darkened self, the, the true self, or the enlightened self. And this is where he is trying to take us. And in verse 15, when it starts off and it says, be very careful, in the Greek, the text begins with the word see, or, or look here, or, or see to it, then how you live. Be aware, watch how you live. Paul's point in these verses is to watch our step. And again, we're talking about our walk. It's our journey. Watch what you do. Because what you do shapes who you will be. The light to which we are awakened illuminates the road ahead of us so that we can come to a crossroads and we don't, we don't proceed as fools, but as wise. We, we make decisions that are going to be beneficial, like the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom Paul endorses here leads to an action. Wisdom isn't just something you know, it is what you know lived out. It's putting into practice the things that you are aware of. It's more than knowledge. So many people, especially in the church, think if we know the right things, it's enough. But knowing is not enough. In fact, Jesus said, you know, I'll show you what it's like, a person who hears my words but doesn't do them. It's like a man who builds his house on the sand. When the storms of life come, great is the destruction. But the person who hears my words and does them. It's like a man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storms of life come, they beat on the house, but it still stands. Because what we do 
shapes who we are. And so if you want to understand the ways of Christ, what you have to do is start implementing them and putting them into practice. And it has us thinking about the consequences in the future. The idea is the things I do now are shaping what will happen tomorrow. How we do today affects tomorrow. We are given a choice of potential outcomes. And remember, that's what he's talking, talked about in the past. He talked about those who are un, unwise, the sexual immoral, the greedy. Well, well, that's the darkened life. That is a life that is separated from God. It's a, a life of idolatry other than God. And so that's the future that that leads to. And so here he's trying to lead us to a place where we make the right choices and we see carefully, we look and see how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as those who make those decisions towards the immorality, towards the greediness, but those who are concerned and caring, those who are doing the things that are going to uplift and strengthen, not the things that are going to tear down and break down. And in verse 16, he tells us that Making the most of every opportunity. I really like King James here. It's just more poetic where it talks about this, where it says that redeeming the time. I just love that phrase, redeeming, the idea of buying back the time. And the phrase is catchy because it locates time in kind of an economical sense. Redeeming is to buy back. And I love this idea to redeem, to buy back, to, to pay a ransom. The idea is something has been stealing our time or how we spend our time. You ever find that? It feel like you lost a day. A day was worthless. It was of no value. Why? Because I did nothing. It doesn't mean you can't have a day of relaxation. But you guys know when there's days where you do just trivial things maybe. Or, or maybe you... you endeavor to do something but it doesn't succeed i know my son had called and said that they'd worked on a car and then they found out they got the parts but the parts was to the wrong car and so all day they're trying to put the wrong part on the right car and at the end of the day get nothing accomplished it's like someone stole your day it's frustrating to go through that whole day and to have nothing to show for it. time here is treated like a gift we, we begin the practice of recognizing this time that i have has value and so what i need to do is purchase this back and make the most of it and so how we spend our time is really important. As I was reading this, I was challenged, okay, what if I just spend 20 minutes every morning, 20 minutes every night in prayer? I'm going to buy that time. I'm, I'm going to take that time and, and I'm going to pause because I need to take time to, to listen to God. I need to take time to listen to, to life. I need to have wisdom and hear what's being said and not just thinking I can respond and do everything, but actually to take time and to pause and to 
allow God to speak to me. It takes time to listen to God, to what God has to say about us or about our lives. It's too easy for us to ignore the faults that are in us. I think I'd mentioned Sunday that Corinne and I have been talking just about how we're going to be as we get older, as we start to see ourselves get, you know, set in some ways and see things similar to our parents and say, is that what's going to happen to us? And if we, we don't realize, no, no offense, mom, um, if we don't, if we don't realize those things that are there, then they will continue to develop. How, how do we keep from becoming the people we don't want to become unless we take time to listen and allow God to speak to our lives and reveal to us what's there? You know, you're very selfish in this area. You're very set in your ways. You're very short and impatient in these areas. The only way I can be aware of that is if I'm able to hear that. And if God is able to speak to you, there's sometimes I'll just be sitting there taking a shower and God will just start to reveal to me the things in my life that need to change. And it's important that we hear those things. It's important that I can see those areas and not just come across as, yes, I, you know, I know the Bible. I know what's right. I know all these things. Well, do you know where you need to change? How do you know if you don't take the time and allow God that time? And it takes time to listen to God, to hear what he has to say about us. The Greek word for time here is keros. It refers to a specific period of time, a moment of opportunity. And this word appears only once before in Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you at that time were separated from Christ. Separate for Christ from Christ defined that moment in our lives. Separated from Christ defined where we were in that period of our lives. And the reason we have to take back ownership of time is because the days are evil. There is the call from foolishness, the call of folly telling us to spend our lives on foolish things, to waste our lives away. This limited time that we have, there is the call to foolishness constantly pulling at us. And yet these also are the very days in which this time occurs, in which eternity intersects the calendar of time. It's a brief encounter with the eternal right now. A unique quality of time flows in the ordinary time. And if this new time, this new karyos of time that we are to walk in is different than the pace than before, our lives are calibrated then now to a different clock. So if we have to redeem the time, then right here, right now, in this moment, we have to acknowledge the eternal, just as Christ 
saved us and brought us to this place where we were separated, a time when we were separated. Well, now is a time when we can buy it back and actually walk with God and start living for God on a different clock because the days are pulling us back to a place where it is foolishness, it is evil. How do I make the most of this time? Well, I have to take it back. I have to acknowledge God. I have to recognize that there is something that is happening. Now, the days were evil when Paul was writing this. The days are evil today. We keep wanting to think of it as a a place in history, but he's talking about a season of time in our lives. He's talking about a, a time that is happening right now. It's a period of time, a moment of opportunity that appears here and now. And so don't think of it as an end times thing. The days are evil. Antichrist, you know, Mark of the Beast, the whole book movie thing. It's not about that. It's not that the days are evil because of those things. The days are evil because there's the pull towards foolishness. There is the pull to waste our lives. That's what's evil is that we could waste the life that we have when there's the opportunity to make the most of it. And that's again when we see the things that Christ brings condemnation for. One of those things is a life that is lived foolish, the the parable of the talents. He gives ten talents, he gives five, and then he gives the one, and everyone increases their what they've had, the money that was given, but the person who did nothing but buried it, he said, you foolish and wicked servant. Why is he foolish? Why is he wicked? Because he didn't do anything with what God gave him. That's evil. And so here we need to make the most of our time. He's pushing us into this activist mentality. You're here to make a difference. You're here to buy back that time. You're here to oppose the foolish time. Listen to wisdom instead and make the most of the time because our lives are here at this moment, at this karyos now being calibrated by an eternal clock. We have something better to live for and towards. Verse 17, he goes on and he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let's just stop there, because doesn't anyone want to know what the Lord's will? Here it is. He makes it sound so easy, right? Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Can Paul really be this certain in knowing what God's will is? I think our difficulty is in discerning God's will is probably because we fixate on, on different issues, on big picture kind of issues, where you know people are struggling with God's will would be like, should I pursue this career or that career? Should I marry her or her? You know, <laughs> if you're in that position, you probably have other problems already. <laughs> you know, God, what is my calling? What What do you want from me? What is my purpose in life? That big kind of potential. But Paul isn't talking ab- about God as it pertains to a, a whole big picture life, but rather he's referring to finding our way through life in the day-to-day decisions, the buying the time 
back. Not allowing our lives to be wasted. And all the things that he's been talking about. You know, how how does God want me to live today in this moment of time? All my duty is to keep in touch with him as this moment passes by. We know I'm not supposed to give in to the sexual immorality, into the greed that he talks about earlier, that we're supposed to be kind, we're supposed to be tender-hearted towards one another, forgiving even as God in Christ has forgiven us. That is God's will for you today. What decisions can you make today that are going to keep you in line with who God is and what he's, his desire of goodness is for you today? You see, he's not talking about what job should I could take? What's the will of God? No, the will of God for us right now, here today, buying back this day, is to allow my life to be useful with the conversations I have, with the people I interact with, with how I conduct myself today. And just think about it. If we were to actually behave the way we should behave every moment of every day, that future will of God would probably unfold for us very naturally it would probably show up in a very tangible way without us having to worry about it. In fact, Jesus says, why do you worry about tomorrow? What we will buy, what we will say. Today has enough problems for itself. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, if we would just make the most of each day, And the moments we have in the day to take the time we have and to use it wisely, the will of God would start to shape our lives. And that's really what he's talking about here. He's talking about that simple way of living. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Well, the will of God is that you don't be foolish. The will of God is that you don't waste your life. The will of God is that you listen to his wisdom for you and how you conduct yourself today and today and today because the time, this moment, the season, this is where we have the opportunity. This is where we move. We have to keep asking because God's will is constantly being molded and shaped. We keep asking God, what's your will today? It's far easier to discern God's will for the present moment than for the future. How does God want me to live now in this moment, at this time? And have you ever noticed that God's will changes sometimes from season to season? God might want you to be involved with this area today but then he wants something else tomorrow that's what i mean by god's will changes not that god is changing but his desire keeps changing because things change life changes how we interact with one another changes because we keep changing and i believe that accepting this dynamic view of god and his work in our lives as it takes place every day is actually a part 
or a facet of wisdom. That's what wisdom looks like. It looks like you understanding that today God is wanting to work in your life, and so you need to take this day, and tomorrow God might want to work in this area of your life, and you take that day, yield it to God, and then tomorrow God is going to be doing this in my life, and I need to surrender that to God. And that's what wisdom looks like, is God being a part of my life every day. God shaping me every day. God doing this work in me every day. There is an appointed time for heaven, under heaven, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted. Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom, chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. The will of God is to walk in the new, not the old, in the light, not the dark, in as wise, not as fools. And this is the contrast that Paul has been expounding throughout this book. And so now we are to walk in this newness of life today, not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of God is. What is the will of God? It's to walk with him today, to make the most of this time. Because the days are evil calling you to live foolishly, calling you to waste your life to spend your life on meaningless things that produce nothing for the kingdom of God. Verse 18 goes on. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Behavior that tends towards foolishness, and then there's behavior that tends to lead us to wisdom. Don't get drunk. Where does that lead you? To debauchery, to wickedness, to foolishness, to doing things that are are foolish. Now, I heard not too long ago a pastor talking on this passage and saying that this passage is confirming that you're not supposed to drink alcohol at all. I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about not getting drunk, which leads to the foolishness. He's not saying you can't have a drink, but what we need to look at is what you're doing, where is it taking you? Where is it leading you? In other words, more wrongdoing. If you exceed, ex, drink excessively, It will probably lead you to more wrongdoing. It'll probably lead you to being stupid and doing something foolish. You know, we get so hung up on whether something is a sin or not a sin. And some things, maybe we should just say it's just stupid. Was it a sin to drink? Well, it's a sin to get drunk, maybe. Well, maybe it's just stupid to get drunk. Maybe getting drunk is just a stupid thing to do because it will lead to foolishness and to wrongdoing, to debauchery. So instead of it being a sin or not, it's don't be stupid. Don't let yourself do things that will lead you to do stupid things. Does the qualification with wine says don't be drunk with wine. It kind of implies that there's something else you can be intoxicated. In fact, he actually talks about that. Instead, be filled or continually filled with the Spirit. Remember in 
the book of Acts in chapter 2, when the spectators saw them, they were filled with the Spirit of God, and they said, these men are drunk. And Peter stood up and he says, man, these guys aren't drunk. Not yet. It's only nine in the morning. Right? He kind of says, they can't be drunk yet. It's only nine in the morning. But instead, they are filled with the Spirit of God. They, and so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? What is the idea? It's just like when you are filled with wine and become drunk, what happens is the wine starts to influence your life. You're intoxicated with the alcohol where we are to be infused with the Holy Spirit, with his energy. Remember when Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, you will receive power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it can feel intoxicating to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the point isn't the feeling. The point and the purpose of the filling of the Spirit is not to have the sense of feeling. It's irrelevant. What Paul wants us to do is move in that state of being filled. In other words, being controlled. Instead of by being controlled by alcohol, be controlled by the Spirit of God. And they were to express it. How are you to express your filling with the Spirit of God? He says there by speaking to one another in Psalms, songs, spiritual songs. They were to express it in this way, outwardly. Not to be overcome with something else, but actually to allow your life to be expressive with God and the things of God. You know, I, I think it is in line where we look at this passage and we see these different issues that Paul keeps contrasting. When he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. And the word be is to be continually filled with the Spirit. He is again trying to contrast, don't waste your life. If you're constantly drinking or needing the drink to satisfy your life, then your life is being wasted. It's being stolen. And how many people who have given themselves over to alcohol can look back and say, yeah, I've lost so many years of my life because of this. And it's not just alcohol. It could be other areas. You know, I can think of things where I remember, gosh, for how many years of my life where I just always was smoking pot. And it's almost like those years flashed by and it's like, what happened in those years? Nothing. I didn't do anything. I just got high. And there's so many things that can steal our lives. And the whole point here is don't let this or anything rob your life. Take your time. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, have the energy and strength of God accomplishing things in your life. Keep moving in this state of being filled. And they were expressing it by the things they do, the songs, the singing. As verse 14 started this with this kind of hymn, early Christian hymn, Paul used it to call the Ephesians to an attentive awareness and a caution. He can envision the Ephesians doing this, okay? That we will start to plant into our conversations these these songs 
these hymns, spiritual songs. What's a spiritual song? Might be just a creative singing without, you know, lyrics, without music, without, it could even be like a spoken word kind of a thing. It could even be a prophetic thing. In First Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1, it says, prophesying, the prophesying of musicians, proclaiming. And so we are to be speaking melody to one another, something encouraging, something uplifting. Music is just an amazing thing. It's amazing how it moves us. Bless you. You know, you, you'll hear a song and, and it can fill you with hope. You hear words to a song. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. You hear that chorus and all of a sudden you just have the sense of God's presence with you. How can I give that to someone else? Speak that kind of encouragement to others. You see, those words, those melodies move us and, and that's the whole idea is we're to be moved by these things by the Spirit of God. And it's amazing how things stick in your mind. How many... Disney songs do I know because I've heard them over and over and over again when the kids were little. You know, and my daughter to this day, she'll hear a song and she wants to see those old Disney movies. Why? Because I love these songs. And they stick with us. And so these songs stick with us. What if we gave something that was, again, encouraging, uplifting, that would stick with us, these creative songs constantly making music in our hearts and that we offer this now to the Lord. This is, again, part of buying back my time and I want my life to be filled with this music in my life, always giving thanks for all things. Here's another reference to time, the always here that's used. It includes circumstances and You know, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we thank the things that are happening. I'm so thankful for the cancer. No, I thank God that he is with me here even though I have cancer. And the whole idea of the early Christian was that God was so involved with their lives that nothing came into their life that didn't come through God first. And so the awareness of God was so relevant that everything else was secondary to the presence of God. So now I go through a difficulty. Oh, no, the air conditioning broke down. Oh, no, finances don't have that. Oh, the car broke down. Oh, no, the illness came. I can be thankful because God is with me no matter where and what I go through. And that's the whole idea here. In everything, give thanks, First Thessalonians tells us, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Not just special occasions, but I can be thankful because I can connect everything to the fact that God is with me. We don't want to deal with anything, especially harmful things or difficult things, apart from God. The whole idea is we want to deal with everything in awareness of God. And so, just in in concluding and just keeping the idea of giving thanks, 
it seems to be a thing where we can become very overwhelmed with situations. And the church can do this too, especially around elections. You start looking at the candidates and you think, oh God, we're in trouble, you know. What's going to happen here? You might have frustration or the laws aren't going your way or, you know, there's laws that pass and, and now we think, oh no, what's going on? And there can be this, this sense of, oh no, what's happening here? What's going to be happening? But what we need to remember is that I can give thanks because God is still here and at work. Faith may not understand all the reasons or what will take place, but it understands that God is with us in and through things. And so what we need to do is have a a view that our faith is alive and at work today, no matter what is happening in this day. And so it doesn't shake us if laws get passed that we see as problematic, if we, we see you know, abortion and the things going on and the things that are, are terrible, and we, we hear all these things, it, it doesn't overwhelm us because God is at work with me, in me, today. And, and I think we've lost that early church experience of God at work here and now in the midst where now society seems to be so paramount and people are so panicking about what's going to happen. And then any little glimpse of something happening, you know, someone on a Today Show says something about Jesus and it's like, oh, there he is, there's Jesus. It's like, you know what? Jesus was already here. And great, the Today Show mentioned it, but it was already happening in my life. I didn't need for it to show up on television for it to be relevant because it was already relevant and active. If I need to see it on TV for me to get a glimpse of hope, then something has already been given up by me. And so it kind of bothers me when I see Christians celebrating small events because what it means is those events that you're celebrating aren't really happening in your life. They're just happening outside. And what would happen if those events that you're celebrating outside were actually happening on a daily basis here in your life? Then you would see change. Then we would be affecting our culture a world-changing faith is still out there. We just need to connect with the people who are living it and the God who is sponsoring it. See, God is still changing lives and doing things. We just need to be connected to that life. When? Today. And so as Paul is just describing these things, look here, see how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every time, redeeming the time, because the days are evil, so don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will is. 
Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, and sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a matter of how we're living. And so may we take this mindset, may we follow and hear the voice of wisdom as it calls out to us, may we put to side the foolishness and the voice that would call us to, to waste our lives, and let's buy back that time and use it for God's purposes. Let's pray. Father, you have always challenged us to live a life that is higher than what we are able. But you have given us the ability to live that life. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice and not give in to the voices that would call us to waste our lives. Bless, I pray, this time. Lord, may it be useful, the things that have been shared here. In Jesus' name, amen.